Ah, hotels. Our home away from home. Our shelter on long and short travels. From the smaller stays off the beaten path to the larger, more extravagant ones meant to provide an experience all of their own. Thank you, Disney. Hotels span the emotional gambit of being just a place to sleep all the way to making a vacation totally immersive. With so many people coming and going, stories are as plentiful as the amount of people that grace the rooms of any given inn. It shouldn't be surprising that with so much traffic that any hotel with any kind of age would have some stories of the paranormal variety. Our story today should exceed your expectations, considering it's known as America's Most Haunted Hotel. Thank you for joining us today on the Supernatural Tendencies podcast, where we'll hunker down on the tales told at a particularly looming lodge and hang out after the show for this week's Musician Spotlight, this week featuring Blushing Monk. I'm Christina. I'm Alex. And I'm Christy. And this is episode 39, The Haunted Crescent Hotel. Eureka Springs, Arkansas, was never meant to be a town. Not really, anyway. Snuggled into the Ozark Mountains, the method by which this town was settled didn't leave room for much city planning, as we will see. As with many historical sites in the United States, we must begin with its original residents, the Native American tribes of the area. The Osage tribes called this area home for many centuries, living off the land as tribal living would dictate. The Osage would originate in the Ohio River Valley, somewhere around 700 BCE. They would eventually be forced to relocate during the 1600s after numerous conflicts and all-out war with the encroaching Iroquois tribe of the New York, Pennsylvania area. Crossing the Mississippi and eventually partially settling in the northern Arkansas area, one feature of the land would captivate all who would venture there for generations to come. Stories would be told of healing waters flowing through the mountains, whether by natural springs or wells. The tales of the waters would even be passed on to the European settlers, who happened upon native residents. Those who may be even remotely versed in American history may guess. The native Osage would be forcibly relocated again to make way for a new American town. This unfortunate process would begin with one Dr. Alva Jackson. Jackson would be credited with discovering the main basin spring in 1856 with the waters being said to have cured issues he was having with his eye. He would later go on to establish a cave hospital. Yes, it's exactly how it sounds. During the Civil War. After the war came to a close, he would go on to patent Dr. Jackson's eye water in an attempt to capitalize on the liquid. Still remaining relatively isolated, it wouldn't be until 1879 when a friend of Jackson's, J.B. Saunders, would claim that the waters would cure a crippling disease that was ailing him, and with that, the town would take off. Living true to the term boomtown, as Keith Scales, tour manager for the Crescent Hotel, would say in an interview for the Haunting History Channel on YouTube, quote, In 1879, there was nobody here. In 1880, there would be over 15,000 people here. While not necessarily being marked as a cure-all, the waters of the area were treated as such. 
enticing people from all over to come and have a try at the curious properties of the water. While it is claimed that many people did find relief in the waters, the method by which it healed is still a bit unclear. Regardless of the medicinal clarifications surrounding the seemingly fruitful fluid, people still came from all around. As stated above, not much land preparation was, or could have been, taken with such an influx of residents that flocked to the location. Visitors began erecting makeshift shacks and tents wherever they could upon arriving. This boom in population would see Eureka Springs officially become incorporated as a city in 1880, and its population would grant the title of the fourth largest city in the state. More so, by 1889, it would only be beaten by Little Rock as the most populous city in Arkansas. As with many other boom towns of the day, many problems would plague the city. And it wouldn't be until Pal Clayton, a Southern Reconstructionist governor, came to Eureka Springs that real progress was made. One by one, issues of concern were addressed, a few of which were sewage problems, as well as four major fires within a 10-year span. Clayton would help remedy these issues, just as the water would do for the people themselves. Clayton would then begin to market the area to a wealthier client base, promoting the area as a retirement community for the wealthy. A company would even be formed to attract the attention of the railroad industry. And in 1890, the Eureka Improvement Company would achieve their goal. Within just a few years, many Victorian-style homes and shops would be packed into the lower regions of the town, relegating the lower-income households to the hillsides. Ironically, as some have put it, to have their turn to look down on the wealthy below. Clayton will also be the person to officially start our story, if you've stuck with us this far through the history lesson, with which this writer is prone to carry on too far. Wanting a getaway for his more notable friends and family, Clayton would begin construction on the Crescent Hotel. In 1886, construction was completed on the hotel, which is situated on the highest point in the Ozark Mountains. But its history would be tainted with death from its foundations, almost literally. One story that is told is that of a stonemason that was down from St. Louis. Working high on top of the building, he caught a glimpse of a pretty lady down below. Being a bit of a ladies' man, he couldn't turn down the opportunity to gain her attention. Becoming a bit overzealous in his attempts, he lost his footing and plummeted to the bottom of the building. A sudden stop caused by a beam would end his life at the tragic estimated age of 17 or 18. Keith Scales would relay that the beam would become part of the floor of room 218, reportedly the most active room in the building. Not letting death stop him from trying his luck with the females who come to the hotel, Michael, as he is believed to be named, rarely allows men to experience any paranormal happenings by his hand. This is in contrast to when women are alone in the room. Knocks, bumps, and raps are sometimes followed by dimming of the room's lights, doors opening and closing, and even shadowy apparitions stalking the walls. The room still remains a mainstay for paranormal investigators, both professional and amateur, who try their luck at communication with Michael. As one enters and leaves the hotel, they can say hello and then bid farewell to a statue of Michael if he didn't need any more attention as it is. Whether the waters of Eureka Springs deemed the comers no longer worthy of their healing powers, or they just plain ran out, by the turn of the century, many started to lose faith in the liquid remedy of the town. More and more people would no longer see such astonishing effects that the cure-all was said to have, the whole reason why they had come. Sure enough, the crowds that once flowed into the town slowed to a trickle. 
It wouldn't be that long after this that the hotel would be used for other purposes. In 1908, it would be converted into the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. While still remaining a partial hotel and retreat during the summer months, the college would see ongoing financial distress and would eventually close in 1924. With very little activity occurring during a six-year span, leaving it nearly vacant and abandoned, in fact, the college would see a brief reopening in 1930 before its final closing in 1934. It would be during these years that another tragic event would add to the hotel's spooky roster of permanent residents. While her name is still unknown, it is believed that a young woman fell to her death from a third-floor balcony of the property. Dismay would quickly turn to scandal when it was discovered that the woman was pregnant. Keith Scales would go on to say that this was strange since the young women weren't allowed to congregate with the men of the town and were supervised at every turn. Without any concrete evidence to prove so, it does point a strong finger at one of the males working at the college being the culprit. Furthermore, as one may have already connected, it may be that her death wasn't an accident or a suicide, but a murder, to silence the repercussions of the person's actions. The Lady in the Mist, as she may forever be called, is still said to be seen exactly as she is described, although sightings of this poor woman aren't observed too often. When she is spotted, it is noted that she is seen falling from the balcony encased in a cloud of mist. Even more strangely, some say to even see a shadow figure turning and walking away from the balcony. Do these, sometimes corresponding apparitions, give us a clue as to what exactly happened to this ill-fated female? Adding to the calamitous history of not only the Crescent Hotel as a whole, but the third floor in particular, is a news clipping from 1905. The Arkansas Democrat would print a story of the acquittal of trial-bound J. Howerton for the murder of James Everett on the grounds of self-defense. As you may have guessed, the incident occurred on the third floor. Tour guides still attest that some people are heavily affected on the third floor. Robin Bray, one such tour guide, would say that she even had one individual faint and hit his head. He and his group wouldn't return to the tour afterward, obviously wary from what had happened. Could the mysterious death of the young woman and the killing of James Everett be contributing to the ill effects that people sometimes feel while on the third floor? This writer asks in a Travel Channel show style. Some believers in the paranormal believe so. The next chapter of the Crescent Hotel's history may be the most influential portion to the entire town of Eureka Springs, albeit no less heartbreaking. In 1937, Norman Baker would take over the now-defunct college in the name of medical science. Not straying far from what had made the town famous, Baker would claim that he had discovered something that we are still in search of to this day, a cure for cancer. Being a near genius at advertisement, Baker would post flyers and mail out pamphlets proclaiming that cancer-ridden patients were leaving his facility, completely cured and cancer-free. Baker would also have two other hospitals elsewhere in the country that were shut down and the residents moved to the new location at Eureka Springs, effectively packing it full of the sick. He would go on to rearrange and redecorate this new hospital in a very fanciful and almost circus-like appearance, because in his words, sick people need cheerful places to live. As the sick poured in, Baker began making a lot of money from his treatment plan. Most certainly being very painful, Baker would insist on directly injecting his self-made potion into the tumors of the patients, sometimes up to seven times a day. He didn't stop there. If he couldn't afford to make the pilgrimage to his cancer-curing mecca, he also sold and shipped his elixir via the mail. 
for those who were more inclined to forcibly DIY their treatments themselves. His concoction turned out to be just a mixture of ground watermelon seeds, red clover, corn silk, and carbolic acid. While still being a very interesting mixture, Baker's mouth would appear to be more productive than his elixir would. While still being a very interesting mixture, Baker's mouth would appear to be more productive than his elixir would. As ailing people would continue to migrate to the hospital, this fact would only become more evident. With no real meaningful treatment being conducted, the hospital that was billed as curing people left and right turned out to be quite the opposite. As Baker's treatment inevitably failed, his need for storage for the bodies would rise. Some say, while it may not be entirely true, that the bodies had piled up in the walk-in cooler that was installed in the morgue downstairs. It is said that the jars of specimens were thrown out in the 1960s. Most would assume to be hauled away from the property, but most would be incorrect. Around 2019, a few bottles would be discovered buried in the hotel's land. Around 2019, a few bottles would be discovered buried on the hotel's land. After authorities would be contacted, the University of Arkansas would dispatch archaeologists to conduct an official dig. Over 500 articles would be unearthed, including many bottles, some with seals still intact, containing specimens that Baker had preserved, and to many people's surprise, even some of Baker's infamous elixir as well. While eventually being transformed back into a hotel and spa sometime later, the current owners have staged the basement as a recreation of Baker's morgue, complete with walk-in cooler, advertisement posters, and the newly rediscovered specimens. But we may be getting a bit ahead of ourselves. One thing led to another, and eventually Baker's relationship with the townspeople began to sour. In 1939, federal authorities would arrest Baker for mail fraud. While many people in the area didn't trust and barely tolerated Baker, what they didn't know was that he had no medical background at all. In fact, he was convicted in Iowa for practicing medicine without a license in 1936. While it was fairly commonplace for elixirs and cure-alls to be marketed and sold in the previous century, the American Medical Association has since fervently disapproved of such medicine, making Baker's miracle cure just as phony as his medical experience. It must be noted that investigations following his arrest allude to the idea that Baker's formula, most likely, didn't directly cause the death of any of his patients. Although, with the lack of actual medical treatment, his actions most likely sped up the process for the unknowing victims and caused them untold amounts of unnecessary pain and suffering. Some stories don't always have the ending we would like. Although Baker would be indicted and sent to Leavenworth, a sentence of only four years would leave many in a state of wanting much more than the seeming slap on the wrist, especially considering that upon his release in 1944, he may have been able to live most comfortably, barely taking any punishment for the estimated $4 million that he had swindled away from the sick and dying over the years. Living out the rest of his days without many issues in Florida, he would pass away in 1958. If most of the green-drenched paranormal television shows aren't asking Michael, from Room 218, questions, they're after evidence of Baker's unsavory work. Considering Baker's, what many would call, torture having its mark throughout the building, outside of Room 218 and parts of the third floor balcony. Most other forms of evidence captured across the hotel are attributed to Baker in some way. Whether it be the man himself or the spirits of the litany of people who had taken their last breath in the hospital, disembodied voices, mysterious taps and knocks, photographs of mists, orbs, and even apparitions, whole and in part, have been documented. 
it would seem that one would find it difficult not to catch an otherworldly souvenir during their stay. The morgue is of obvious interest to many spirit seekers. A full-bodied apparition of a man in a top hat was allegedly photographed in the basement. Whispers are said to be heard there as well. Various paranormal investigation groups, both well-known and more local, have captured EVP recordings also. Some investigators are convinced that they may have even captured the voice of Norman Baker during playbacks. Stories are also told of a nurse, dressed all in white, who roams the third floor. Being said to only be seen after 11 p.m., the ghostly figure is allegedly seen pushing a gurney for a purpose that we may never be sure of. This nurse isn't the only female associated with Baker that is said to have stuck around, though. Gracing room 419, Theodora, as she is called, makes her presence known to passers-by. Even more strange, she manages to convey to witnesses that she is a cancer patient before disappearing, obviously to the surprise of her onlookers. The doctor, himself, is also said to still make appearances at the hotel. The recreation room in the basement, as well as the stairway on the first floor, tend to be the most common places to spot him. Being said to be seen in a purple shirt and appearing looking rather confused, maybe the prospect of coming back to the hospital to help sick people keeps him from resting as he should. Another artifact that was used during Dr. Baker's time in the building was still used for a number of years after his departure, an old switchboard. Connecting the phone line to multiple areas of the building, it was said that long after the morgue was discontinued, the switchboard would still receive calls from that location, without a phone even being there afterward. The switchboard, understandably, has since been removed. After Norman Baker's miraculous healing, the hotel sat vacant for a number of years. It wouldn't be until 1946 that businessmen from Chicago would purchase the property, with their sights set on another go at a hotel. They would put funds into the building for restorations and remodeling that it sorely needed, hoping this time to attract clients for a little more relaxing reason. Things would go as planned and the hotel would spring back to life, albeit not as elegantly as its former hotelhood had been, but still. That being said, history would take a turn for the worst in 1967 when a fire would break out in a portion of the hotel, ushering a most uncertain future for the getaway. The hotel would bounce from owner to owner with relatively little changes made. That would be until 1997 when Marty and Elise Rainick would happen upon the property, quickly scooping it up. They made a promise to the town that, in five years, we pledge to have this grand old lady of the Ozarks back to where she was a hundred years ago. And they have done just that. The addition of the new sections of spa area, restoring the top floor of the building, as well as repairing the 24-foot-tall crescent moon weather vane, were among just a few things they focused on completing. They also did not turn a blind eye to the various stories that have been told of hauntings in the building. As stated above, not only did they construct a recreation of Norman Baker's morgue for those interested, they also catered to the spooky-minded by conducting ghost tours of their own, as well as seeming to be very open to paranormal investigators in general. As we have attempted to draw out this story and the associated specters in a linear fashion as best we could, we still have one more section of spotted spirits with which to contend. If the hotel didn't have enough reasons to keep ghosts linked with the grounds, between random murders, accidents, and medical negligence, we have numerous reports of seemingly random spirits in Victorian-like clothing. The crystal dining room is said to be filled with at least a few playful spirits. Some investigations have turned up odd shadows and apparitions in photos from the dining room, 
as well as one case where during the Christmas season, all of the gift boxes that had been placed under the decorative tree were moved to the other side of the room. If this weren't mischievous enough, all of the chairs had been moved to either encircle or face the tree. Menus have also been known to be strewn across the room, in a not-so-traditional version of 52-card pickup. The kitchen of the hotel isn't immune to prank-like phenomena, either. Many have seen the specter of a small boy skipping through the kitchen. The boy is also blamed for the pots and pans mysteriously being jerked from their places on the walls. Hoping for ghostly happening to come to your room with excellent service? The ghost of a waiter carrying a butter tray is said to be seen walking down corridors, still carrying out what many may complain about today, a work shift that never seems to end. One other unfortunate story is that of a young girl who was seen ascending and descending the stairs. She is said to have fallen to her death while leaning against the top floor banister in the 1930s. Whether slipping between the supports or going right over the top, she plummeted to the first floor, sadly ending her life. Maybe she enjoyed the place so much that she decided to stay. To be honest, there are probably many more stories that we can't cover here today about the Crescent Hotel, both of ghostly sightings as well as their possible origins. But one big question has to be, why so many? Is it simply because of the amount of death, whether maliciously inflicted or not, that is associated with the grounds? Are there not many other places across the world that have seen the same, if not more, dead and dying throughout their history, yet don't exhibit nearly this amount of afterlife visitors? What makes this place in particular so saturated? One theory has to do with the geological makeup of the area. Being called the stone tape theory, it hypothesizes that imprints of energy can be left on the very material of the land. That energy can then get played back as if it were some type of geological record player, replaying a particular incident or action over and over. But many of the reports coming from the Crescent Hotel seem to be what would be called intelligent hauntings, taking them mostly out of the realm for this idea. Another possible explanation could lead back to the waters that originally brought people there to begin with. Even if the waters found naturally in Eureka Springs don't miraculously cure everything, they do still contain many vitamins and minerals. Some say that certain combinations and amounts of minerals could increase spirit activity from an environmental standpoint. With so many electrolytes floating around in the water, could they be acting as some sort of conductor for the spirit world? If the theory holds water, pun totally intended, the natural hard rock of the area, in combination with electrolyte-rich water, could be the perfect place to retain spirit activity in such copious amounts. While the science is still kind of shaky, it is thought that various minerals and heavy metals being present in a water system that may be in contact with certain types of rock, such as limestone, can create a variety of effects that aid in paranormal occurrences. Regardless of the cause, the reports of spirits in just about every shape imaginable still readily come from the hotel. Investigation group after investigation group, tour after tour, year after year, all continually prove to be more lucrative to both the hotel as well as the paranormal proof seekers. With Eureka Springs being known for their, how can we not oversell this, better quality water supply, maybe the water in northern Arkansas can in fact stave off death, just not in the way many might have thought. Never 
myself. Nope, can't hear myself. That's all right. I'm just gonna keep going because that's what I do. I just keep <laughs> going. Even just when go people, with it. even when people say, "Alex, you need to stop," I just keep going. Just keep going. So that's how I get myself in trouble, but it's fine. Welcome. This week we fixed the issues with the. Uh, music with the starting video. But obviously we had another little issue that we didn't see earlier. So that tends to happen. That's that's TV, folks. No. All right, now that we got that out of the way, thank you for joining us this week. Today uh, we will be covering the Haunted Crescent Hotel, which has been an exciting one for me because I've put actually like two and a half weeks into this research for it. It's been stupid. It has. Why do you look at me like that? I have. Because you always act like, at two weeks worth of research, I deserve no. a damn cookie. No. Some, <laughs> something special. Did anybody bake Alex a cake? Nope. Nope. So at least you could do is just not say anything. How about that? Wow. Why do you step on toes? When have you ever done that, though? You just can't. You know, because anyway. you know, it's good for the goose. We got to start off that way. Why is that? Just negativity. I it's got my, hot. I got my crazy cat shirt on today. It's hot in here. Her crazy cat shirt is doing nothing. It is literally 300 down. degrees here in the studio today. It's an, it's the epitome of an oven that isn't exactly an oven. So if you need to cook something, just bring it over to the studio. We have meat falling off the bone in here. You could crack an egg on the desk next to me and it'll be done here in a minute. Any more entendres <laughs> we want to go with? Either way, it's terrible. So we got the, like I said, we got the Crescent Hotel today. Let's go um, ahead and I'm going to bring up our... Okay. Uh, uh, hold on here. I have to fix this. All right. First and foremost, I would like to thank the, uh, ha- the Haunting History podcast or i'm sorry the haunting history channel on youtube i think they have a podcast but i did not listen to the pod i didn't have time to listen to that podcast specifically nor am i actually for sure that they're affiliated as oddly as that sounds but most of my research did come from the haunting history youtube channel um i did email them um i believe they're in affiliation with a paranormal group called four state paranormal um out of the area where the crescent hotel is either illinois missouri um arkansas area so uh, we did get, I did get quite a bit of my information in. I emailed them, asked for, for permission if we could cite cite some of their sources and their in their work, and uh, they just fantastically gave us permission. So first off, shout out to them. If anybody in the live feed right now ever gets bored, wants to do some research on their own, or just watch some spooky stuff, look up the Haunting History uh, channel on YouTube. They have a whole playlist, especially for the one uh, we're doing today, the Haunted Crescent Hotel. Um, furthermore. Um, we may have a bit of a surprise by the end of the week, uh, for the interview next week. Yep. Saturdays, uh, here for the past two Saturdays have been reserved for the midweek mischief segment that we put on that we will eventually release every Thursday. Uh, this, uh, next week we will not be having a midweek mischief, uh, because we will have an interview in, um, in kind of conjunction with this episode. So hopefully, by the way, did you, uh, did you set up Reaper for me? Is that recording? Yeah. Dreamer, cool. Okay. I just want to make sure. I'm always worried about that. Get off my page. I'm I know always you are. worried. I know you are. I used to do it. And, and then I, I did forget to... once. You did. I did once. The whole show. <laughs> once. Anyway, we have anything new for the week to start out with? Anything at all? Uh, shout out to Jeremy Traxler for all of the uh, inviting all of his wonderful, amazing friends yes, into but... our group Mr. on Jeremy Facebook. Mr. Jeremy is a fantastic individual, although he doesn't smell that great. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's sitting in studio with us right next to me, so I had to say something at least partially negative about him just to bring his spirits back up. It's fine. He's <laughs> suffering with us, so fine. I think that one comment is torture enough. But he is a fantastic character who has done just <laughs> loads of work for us and uh, added a lot of people to our group. So hopefully a lot of people, uh, that w- the, the tons of people that were added, uh, gets some uh, will get some uh, entertainment out of it, get some, get some stories out of it, and also contribute stories themselves. So 
hopefully we uh, keep growing our community and and have the ability to have more and more stories being told, shared, and and um, discussed. Discussed. Thank you. Anyway. Discussed. Anyway, is that all you got? Anybody want to join? Anybody want to join in anything new this week? Uh... No, I think that is there. Am I missing something? I was going to be honest. Um, I was just trying to buy time because I thought there was, and now I can't remember it. So that's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, we'll move on. Starting with a story today. Are you guys ready for this? How many people we got watching right now? Like four, and it's us monitoring. Where are we at? Twelve people. Oh my gosh! I'm excited. Twelve Whoa. people. Double digits. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, Haunted Crescent Hotel settled in the Ozarks snuggled, nestled, just caressed like a good old pig in a blanket. This right story has suddenly taken a <laughs> uh, turn that is just not appropriate you don't like for pigs all in a blanket? viewers. Well, you don't like pigs it was in a blanket? snuggled and nestled. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Cozied, cozied. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with other, other words. Now I want pigs in a blanket. There you go. That was the goal. <laughs> <laughs> snuggled in the Ozarks in northern Arkansas. So, of course, since I wrote this script, there's always the obligatory history lesson, and it may get kind of old, but we're going to start with the native Osage Indian tribe from the area. The Osage moved from the area uh, somewhere around the 1600s. Previously, the Osage would have found their home in the Ohio River Valley around 700 BCE. They would eventually be forced out by the Iroquois tribes uh, due to war and just... They didn't agree with the same baseball teams. Um, the, the One of them called the other's mother not a very good baker. So that didn't help most likely. Who knows the, the issues that they had, but they decided to, to pack up and just move. They're partially settling in northern Arkansas. Now, the, the big thing with this is the natives who had moved into the area initially found an interesting thing that's going to be the reoccurring theme for the Crescent Hotel and the future city of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. In that the water seemed special, 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 like Gatorade special, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not a huge Gatorade fan. Powerade. Any of it. What was the What was the third one? There was a third one back in the '90s. Like a, all sport, all sport. Is that what it was? Everybody in the room collectively went, "Yes, That's all sport." It. There yeah, it is. Sport. Uh, so anyway, whether it be the minerals or whatever in the water, they found uh, like, a, like a curing property, a healing property, if you will. And they kind of passed this from, from tribesman to tribesman. Um, and as American history would have it, and as anybody watching this would probably guess, uh, the Europeans decided to come to the area. And it started uh, the process of them again being relocated. And actually, we could find the, uh, the start of this in one person being that of Dr. Alva Jackson. Dr. Alva Jackson would be the person, and I hate saying discovering, especially when it comes to this, because it was there. The natives knew about yeah. it. He didn't discover anything. So he, I guess, discovered it for the Europeans who moved, in, who moved into the area. But regardless, discovered the base in spring in 1856, which uh, we will allude to later, because Eureka Springs as a whole is, is kind of like... Um, like a vacation spot, like a weekend getaway spot. Yeah. So there's multiple places across the the entire city that has points of interest for us today. So he would discover the Basin Spring in 1856, and he would later go on to establish a cave hospital. Literally, a that cave sounds awesome. hospital, right? During the Civil War. So after the war, he would patent and he would patent his kind of would you call it a potion? I don't. I think that's. Too, I would use too that much. term loosely. He called. He well. He called it Doctor Jackson's eye water. Okay, 
Jackson had a, apparently an, a, some type of issue with his eye. He put the waters that were said to be healing and miraculous in his face, and it healed his eye. So he had, like, awesome eye drops. <laughs> That's what they should have named it. Just Dr. Jackson's awesome eye drops. Awesome eye drops. Right? Not to be confused with Visine, but awesome mm. eye drops. <laughs> yep. Still at this time, though, even when even when you had this cave hospital, the area kind of still stayed relatively isolated. It wouldn't be until 1879 when his friend, J.B. Saunders, would claim that the waters would, in, in like a very one-upping way. You ever had that friend that just one-ups everything? Oh, yeah. Yes. One better Bob. Christina, why are you pointing at Jeremy? Oh. <laughs> why is that? Wow. I was kidding. That was a joke. Anyway, one, one, he was he wound up Jackson in that he would be cured of a crippling disease that was ailing him. Okay, now it doesn't specify, and I looked across my sources, and we're going to cite these. We cite every time we put up the episode, we, we cite. So actually, I think this is the most amount of, of c- citations. Citations. Citings. I don't know. Citations. Citations that I've ever done, and you could do it, you could look for yourself. It doesn't exactly say what crippling disease he had, but he was sure as hell convinced that it was cured by the so water. So maybe something like, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or regular yeah. arthritis, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, after this, um, Eureka Springs would be formed, and it would live up to the term Boomtown. Um, I'm going to be referring to the gentleman I'm going to be speaking about next uh, a few different times throughout this. Uh, his name's Keith Scales. Keith Scales will be featured on the the haunted the Haunting History channel that I referred to earlier, and I believe he's the tour manager of the Crescent Hotel. So he does a lot of stuff on the camera. He'll take, I don't know if he actually does tours himself, but with anybody who comes in with any type of, uh, you know, documenting, I think we lost Christina on the feed. Um, Uh any type of documenting, uh, groups that come in asking questions about the hotel, he sometimes will come on and answer the questions. So I will be referring to Keith Scales quite a few times. Um, Keith Scales would have a pretty good quote that I would, I would like to take from him here. He said, in 1879, there would be nobody here, being Eureka Springs. In 1880, there'd be over 15,000 people. That's a big jump. So, with it, yeah, well, of course, within a year, you have 15,000 people. And we're not, and this is the funny part about it, and I thought that maybe you would take interest in this. Um, it's not about gold. It didn't seem to be about silver or anything like that. It was about this awesome water, Right. And she's not paying attention, but I'm going to carry on. That's fine. Uh, no, just a trusted us commented and We're said, you're, technical yeah, you're frozen. Oh, no. We froze. We froze up. Oh, and there he goes. Oh, we lost Alex. You're gone. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to keep going for our audio listeners. We're having issues. Go ahead and pop back. Try to I don't, pop know, if, back. I don't know if I can with this. Okay. I'm back now? No, you're still gone. Oh, man. We got a storm coming through. I'm sure yeah. that's probably not helping us at all. Bear with us if you can hear, still hear the audio, because most likely you can still hear my audio. And I think I'm coming back in now. Is it going? Yeah, it looks like I'm coming back in. Sorry, everybody, about that. Boop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a little loud. Yeah, I think. Ah, Give it a nope, second. I got to mute my mic. There we go. I'm backstage. Bring me on in. Anyway, everybody should still be able to hear me. Uh, because we're all on the same interface. So as long as you don't lose connection, we should be able to be heard. Yeah. So carrying on, like I said, I thought this would be interesting because uh, with the Boomtown mentality, I shouldn't say mentality, because what happened in a boom Boomtown-like fashion wasn't because of gold or silver or anything like that, but because of this miraculous healing yeah. water, right? And I think the only real other big state that's known for like awesome water is Maine. Is you that where that? Crazy Town is? Uh, 
like this like like the, the crazy band Crazy Springs. Town? No, it's like it's called Crazy it has Crazy Springs and it's pretty oh. much the same thing. No, I never heard of that. Yeah. No. Can we go back to the the band though? Talk about I mean I I enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I personally <laughs> Yes. No, well, no, I'll have to look it up. I've never heard of that. No, but I think that Maine, uh, I don't know if it if they had done actual tests, I'm pretty sure they have. Has like the cleanest water of like any state. I can see that because yeah. of of the 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 composition of the rock and the ground, and then like the roots from all the trees or something yeah. kind of make it the cleanest. I think they actually had like different test subjects of water huh. that they had taken around to different people, and you could taste like the like the downeasters knew which one was theirs. Oh wow! Yeah, hmm. yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so like Super I said. Cool. Yeah, oh yeah. So like I said, Keith Scales had the quote in 1879, there was nobody here. In 1880, there'd be over 15,000 people. Wow. We I wanted to quote that because uh, 15,000 people is a lot of people. We don't have to talk much about that. But what we can talk a lot about is with any boom town, and you can see this with just about any town that's a large town out west now, all of them seem to have the same issues when they were growing because they grew so fast, okay? Mm-hmm. Most of them didn't have a police force. Most of them didn't have a fire brigade or anything like that. So in the case of, like, uh, San Francisco, San Francisco burned down multiple, multiple times. And some anthropologists, some historians say that that most likely saved, saved it as a whole. Um, I'm, I'm going history nerd here, but, like... Uh, one of the one of like for example one of the professions would have been like you know prostitution in the area and like not saying that that prostitution would have spread disease to the point that a fire would have affected that much to because in theory that would have meant like people just would have had to, would have had to have died that's not what I'm saying but with everything going on uh, with all these people coming in and out and not being very well sanitized or sanitization not being a very big thing the whole city burning down meant that the city could start over and the fire cleanses most of the the bacteria and, yeah. and stuff like that so this the the Eureka Springs was no different okay um it still had those ideas or those issues sorry um four major fires in the first 10 years of it being an actual city um as well as oh and I lost my spot Definitely lost my spot. Uh, four major towns. And then also the sewage problems. And, of course, in a modern society, sewage, the, the thought of sewage outputs is a very important thing. It wouldn't be until Powell Clayton, which both of us, without being told to each other, mixed up Powell Clayton's name. Yeah. Because it sounds like it should be Clayton Powell. Yeah. I kept doing that. Powell Clayton, <laughs> uh, who was a Southern Reconstructionist governor. Do we have to talk about the Reconstruction? Because you questioned me about this. No. <laughs> Hopefully our listenership knows at least half-heartedly what the Reconstruction was in the South post-Civil War. Anyway, Peyton Cloud, well, Powell Clayton comes around and he will start to address these issues one by one until officially they're not really, um, I got lost again. So where we at? Where we at? Uh, Powell Clayton, Southern Reconstructionist governor, comes into uh, Eureka Springs and starts solving the issues that any boomtown would have. Again, some sewage problems as well as four major fires within a 10-year span. Clayton would also start to market the area to a wealthier client base, promoting the area as a retirement community for the wealthy. And then we have the interest of bringing the railroad through town. Uh, The Eureka Eureka Improvement Company would achieve that goal. Ooh, excuse me. And then they would start to see an influx of, like, Victorian-style houses and Victorian-style shops and stuff like that, kind of down in, from what I understand, the valley. Now, let me make it clear right now. I've never been there, and I'm not from Arkansas or anything like that. So if anybody is from the area or has been there, uh, feel free to to address that in the comments if you if you can. Um, but from what we understand, and it was kind of a, an ironic 
ironic point here is that they start settling into the 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 valleys of the of the town kind of forcing the lower class people to the hillsides in like shacks again ironically allowing the poorer people to look down on the wealthier people i bet they love that okay good i was hoping for some type of reaction from you anyway so wanting wanting to get a getaway for his notable more notable friends and family clayton would begin begin construction on the crescent hotel in 1886, construction will be completed, uh, which actually, f- funny enough, it sits at, it sits at the highest point in the Ozark Mountains. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's a yeah. And then I think there's also like a Jesus statue. Is it like the Christ of the Ozarks or something that you can see from there? Huh? So when I, I first, didn't know that. I have no idea. Yeah, when I first think of that, they, I think of the uh, the Rio Jesus. Uh, that's what I thought of. Okay, the yeah. is it like Rio the Redeemer? Yeah, the Redeemer or whatever. Yeah. And then now, uh, apparently, they have a Christ of the Ozarks, from which oh. I think you could see it from the hotel, but I'm not totally sure. And you're gone. I'm try gone shutting, again. Try uh, on mine shutting off the Wi-Fi. Yeah. I'm still going to keep going. I don't care. You, they <laughs> I just, don't even care. They should still be able to hear me. Yeah. So I'm going to keep going. No, that's probably what it is until we get... Oh, we're and... in the process, guys, of remodeling a bigger podcast studio. So for the meantime, uh, we kind of have to... Go Wi-Fi. Yep, kind of how it goes. So our first story of that's going to be of interest to us would be that of a stonemason that had come down from St. Louis for the construction of the hotel. Uh, being a bit of a ladies' man, he would he would uh, catch. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Good. All right. So a pretty lady would be down on ground level while while this stonemason from St. Louis would be working on the top of the hotel uh trying to get her attention he'd kind of be a little overzealous and and trying to get her attention he would end up falling off the side of the hotel and he would die on the first well be the second floor beam i believe it is yeah on a beam on the second floor um michael as people would believe his name would be called uh would die at the tragic estimated age of 17 or 18 that's so sad. Yep. So this, the, where he died, would become room two eighteen, which is probably the most, um, I don't want to say infamous, because like a, lo- of... a lot of people like want to go there. So the, the most famous, yeah, room in the hotel is room two eighteen. So if you want to see paranormal activity or feel, they say you should go to two eighteen. Funny enough is that he wouldn't stop um, his kind of flirtatious there you go flirtatious attitude upon death he likes the ladies because a lot of people think that you if you're a male you won't hear anything or experience much anyway right (laughs) but if you're a female you'll hear knocks bumps raps and sometimes followed by the dimming of the room's lights doors opening and closing and even shadowy apparitions stalking the walls so it's a pretty active room right yeah um the rooms the room oh the room can you talk? still remains a mainstay for paranormal investigators. You can find tons of videos on YouTube. If you just take a short jaunt on YouTube for the Crescent Hotel, room 218, mm-hmm. tons of people, even if it's like just like a couple on a weekend that has heard of it, oh, then they'll wow. do their own little like what they found that night or whatever. So you can find plenty of stuff on, on 218. Super interesting, though. So after, after the construction will be completed... Um, I'm not sure if you can exactly say, like, the waters, like, lost their healing touch. Uh, but regardless, people stopped coming to the town. So it wasn't as active of a trip-making place as it, as it had been. Uh, with that slowdown, 
they eventually started making the hotel on the off season or the, or the, the summer months, just a hotel during the summer months during what you could be considered what as a school year uh starting in 1908 it would be converted into the crescent college and conservatory for young women while still remaining the partial hotel um it would remain this this girls college and conservatory from 1908 to 1924 um not much happened during these years uh when after it got shut down obviously still kind of remaining open kind of not remaining open and it would have a brief reopening from 1930 until 1934 and then it would it would just stop being a girls conservatory but while it was a girls conservatory comes our next story that's kind of famous from from the time um, while the woman's name, the young woman's name, uh, was still, is still unknown, she would actually fall to her death, uh, from the third floor, from a third floor balcony. Um, it would later be discovered that she was pregnant. Oh. Yes. Which, which even more oddly is the fact that they would, they were not allowed to, to talk or converse or, or gather with the men of the town. So she most likely had gotten pregnant from somebody at the college. Mm. So I don't think it would take many connections for you to wonder <clears throat> if there was a male at the college yeah. that had gotten her pregnant and then maybe killed her. Yeah. So Not a big stretch there to... Especially for the time period. I mean, that wasn't that long ago, so I don't want to overreach and say that if people in the 20s wanted to have babies and kill people. <laughs> I don't know, but... Anyway, so her apparition is thought to to exist now uh, under the name The Lady in the Mist. Um, I believe there was an exact time that they thought this might have happened where she f- had fallen. Because I don't think it was... Obviously, someone discovered her afterwards. So they're not quite sure when it happened. Uh, but they there's like hearsay. And then they eventually start seeing the person around this time. So people over the years, folklore-ish kind of made you know put two and two together that same at this time this is probably when it happened what have you of the apparition of a female figure falling and then they've been surrounded and missed uh sometimes they say you can actually see an apparition or a shadowy figure back up on the balcony kind of turn and then walk away as if they had shoved her Mm -hmm. so that's pretty tragic yeah it is Mm mm-hmm so lots of diff- lots of death going on. Yes. Already. Yes. Um. And and, and tragic death too. Yeah, Not yeah. just like you know someone got ill and they passed away. Um. Uh, it's pretty tragic death, adding to the calamitous history of the of the not only the, the and I put this in here not only the Crescent Hotel as a whole but the third floor in particular um and I'm going to I'm going to say where I got this from and I don't really want to admit where I got this from but I got it from Ghost Adventures uh, a news clipping from <laughs> I know bite the lip I know they got a they found a news clipping from 1905 and I tried to take just as much of the fact out of it as I could and I don't I didn't kind of go anywhere else with it. So I'm trying to take the base fact. A news clipping from 1905 from the Arkansas Democrat would print a story of the acquittal of trial bound Jay Howerton for the murder of James Everett on the grounds of self-defense, also on the third floor. Hmm. So we're going to come back to the thir- third floor later with some other stories. But already um, we have the second second floor with 218. I imagine 218 would be on the second floor with Michael uh, falling to his death. And then you have the lady in the mist of the of the girl who who was presumably pregnant, fallen, who had fallen <laughs> oh, from yeah. the balcony. Right. And then now you have this this murder and whether or not it was, it was on the grounds of self-defense and he you know was just defending himself and he killed somebody, someone still died. So obviously the afterlife sometimes doesn't always decipher whether or not it was malicious or not. So 
uh, tour guides, actually. Uh, one named Robin Bray, taken, again, from the Haunting History uh, YouTube channel. I cannot get that to roll off my tongue today. Uh, has has said that more than one individual on her tour guides, or on her tours, um, have felt the effects of things on the third floor. Mm. So it's not totally out of the ordinary from people and non-believers or believers to be affected on the third floor. Maybe from the culmination of all these past events in an area? Yeah, your guess is as good as ours. Uh, so, now we move on <laughs> to the next chapter of the Crescent Hotel's history, which is going to be the most influential part. Which is going to be the long and storied past of Norman Baker. In 1937, Norman Baker would take over the now defunct college. And the first thing we need to learn about Norman Baker was that he was a genius at advertisement. (coughs) And it's said that Norman Baker had actually found a cure for cancer. Uh, He would list the hotel, which he now turned into a hospital as like a cancer curing mecca that you can come to and be cured of all your ailments. Sending out pamphlets, sending out flyers everywhere that he was curing people left and right out of his hospital, right? Um, he would actually actually have two other hospitals elsewhere in the country that he would shut down, and the people were sent to the Eureka Springs location, just just packing that sucker full, like a wow. sardine can, of, of the sick and dying. Obviously, being a hot commodity with a cancer-curing elixir, he would make a lot of money from this treatment, especially since he would insist on injecting the elixir into the tumor sometimes up to seven times a day. Wow. And usually he would charge per shot for the treatment. Now, that's aside from any other bedding or housing or anything else, that you like rooming fees, I would assume. The extras. Um, yep. And even more so later on, people, uh, and I can't remember exactly where this was, so hopefully I'm not taking this out of context. Um, somebody, one of the paranormal investigation groups I had seen on some of these videos had gotten an EVP, something along the lines of uh, the voice saying, do you have credit? So more like it sounded along the lines of, and, and I'm not usually this person, but it kind of is like an odd saying to get from an EVP that um, they would since you they would charge you per shot. Do you want another shot? I don't have any money. Well, do you have credit? So that'd be, that's an interesting little hmm. takeaway from that. I'm trying to get this picture a little bigger so that you guys can see it. Yep, you have. Thank you for putting but that this up. This is, is an ad of the time. Oh, the, the previous picture she's ha- she has up now is of Norm Baker for our live listeners who have stuck around through the issues tonight. My gosh. Turns out the concoction that Norman Baker had as a cancer-curing elixir turned out to be a mixture of groundwater melon seeds, red clover, corn silk, and carbolic acid. Most likely not really curing much. Like, how is that going to fix anything? Um, it doesn't... <laughs> I don't think it mattered. Um, if no. You, I would imagine if you went to Eureka Springs today, and even if you went to Eureka, Eureka Springs near the time that he was there, he was a fraud. Almost and definitely, many, And yeah. many people would say that. Um... Since there were no real meaningful treatments being conducted, the the output of curings, of, of remedies, remedied people, however you, uh, healed people was actually quite the opposite. Baker's treatment inevitably failed for many of them, and he would actually have a morgue, obviously, in the bottom of the hospital. It would be said, although we can't say how true it was, that the bottles, the bodies would begin piling up in the cooler down in the morgue. He would also use the morgue for autopsies, to which he would, like, take the organs that were cancer-ridden out of the body and take pictures of them. He would put the pictures on flyers and advertisements, trying to tout the cancer-curing abilities that he had. My question is, if you have 
body, like, like organs being taken out of autopsied bodies, and you take pictures of them, put them on a flyer, yeah. and tell people that it's being cured, why would you be taking the cured organs from people's bodies? Yeah, exactly. So, I'm not sure if many people asked that at the time either. <clears throat> and even if you took organs from dead people, well, shouldn't they be, like, good and not yeah. cancer-ridden? Cured. Why would you put cancer-fueled... I, I don't know. Maybe it's a difference in time periods. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, so, what is interesting to know is it's said that the jars of specimens that he would keep for these pictures would be thrown out in the 1960s. Of course, in a modern context, whenever we think of something being thrown out in the garbage, mm. it means that... It's taken to a landfill or something. Back then, this wasn't the case. In fact, a lot of rural communities, they didn't really have landfills, so all your trash, you would just bury out back. Mm -hmm. So in 2019, I believe it was possibly a hotel maid, someone working for the hotel happened upon a few little bottles, and push comes to shove, eventually, they find out that there's a bunch of bottles in there. Um, they end up calling the authorities who do like a little preliminary investigation to figure out that nothing malicious is happening while currently with them and then the university of arkansas would dispatch archaeologists for an official dig and this is absolutely crazy over 500 articles would be unearthed including many bottles some with seals still intact containing specimens that baker had preserved and to many people's surprise some of baker's infamous elixir hmm. so if you want to see some of the actual elixir that he was using it's, I think they have his, it back. His quack tonic. Yeah. Now, they did send it away. Uh, I'm not sure if it was for testing of some type uh, to do something with it before they brought it back. But I think it's back at the hotel now. The current owners, and we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but the current owners actually, um, they keep it as a spa in a hotel. But then in the morgue, in the cooler room and stuff like that, they've actually recreated it to be reminiscent of Baker's time. So you can actually go down there and take a part of the ghost tour and where he used to do this stuff. And I believe they have gotten their bottles back and they're on display there. No, don't quote me on that one. Yeah, and here's a picture that I found uh, <clears throat> where you can take the tour. And here is the actual basement, the morgue. You have it up? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. okay. Well, I'm I'm being I'm getting lost again. So one thing led to another, and eventually Baker's relationship with the townspeople began to sour. In fact, in 1939, federal authorities would arrest Baker for mail fraud. Of all things, that's now, what they get him on? Like, really? Now, you see, he had this hospital that you can come to and have your cancer cured, right? Yeah. But what if you didn't have enough money to come there to get your cancer cured? Don't you worry, because Norman Baker uh. <laughs> could send you his cure and you could do it yourself. Thank heavens. Via the mail. Right? Mail order cancer cures. Yes. That's awesome. So the authorities finally nailed him on this on this mail fraud via, you know, well, in the state of Arkansas. Turns out he was also convicted in Iowa of practicing medicine without a license in 1936. So he's kind of an all-around good guy. Literally yeah. making his miracle cure just as phony as his own medical experience. Mm -hmm. Now, this isn't a crazy notion what he had done. Uh, in the previous century, in the 1800s, you can walk along street corners and state fairs and find cure-alls and stuff. I think if you ever watched the, uh, was it A Million Ways to Die in the West? Yes. Oh, yeah. They even make the joke in there that it was <laughs> flannel oil or something. It's like a real flannel? Like a shirt? <laughs> and that's not that's not far off the of snake some, oil some salesman. of the stuff they were selling. So what he did wasn't completely out of the ordinary. Unfortunately, he was still trying to do it in a time where literally we have the organization called the American Medical Association who was fervently disagreeing and disapproving of such quote-unquote medicine. You're a liar. Unfortunately, also, furthermore, even though we'd love to have this ending happen with what, what would you be satisfied with with Norman Baker receiving as a punishment? 
Um, oh gosh, that would probably say, I'd probably sound totally sadistic if I said it. Are you gonna Are you gonna he say death? Injected. Do you want him to die? <laughs> Do I want him to die? I'm not gonna judge you for it, but uh, is that what well, you're thinking? No, honestly, I would. I would uh, inject him seven times a day. Yeah. Okay. So like a torturous thing in random yeah. spots. <laughs> Are you in agreement? Or are you just trying to lead her? No, I'm in agreement. No, agreement? I'm, I'm going to torture the hell out of him. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, we're gonna like yeah. pour honey all over him and sick fire ants on him. All right, hold on to your pants because he I would be sent to Leavenworth, one of the most notorious prisons of the era. For can you guess how many years? Daryl, can you take a guess? Because technically, 50? they already know. Twenty-five. Twenty-five years at Leavenworth. Four years. Wow. At Leavenworth. That was awful. Wow. Yeah. Daryl's sitting with us. And he, <laughs> what did he just the long timers, what did the lifers at Leavenworth get? Or well, I what mean, did they do? To, to, I mean, to get in there. I don't know. But he had four years in Leavenworth before being released. In yeah. fact, he would, and I, and I wish I could find this because I even specifically looked at it. And I couldn't find it. Um, I'm not sure if he kept all of the money. He got to keep all of the money. Or what? It somehow was taken away from him. But he accrued. Accured, accrued, whatever that word is, an estimated $4 million. That's a load of crap. Across the entirety of his swindling, $4 million. Wow. So again, I don't know if he got to keep that or not, but regardless, he lived out the rest of his days without many more issues in Florida until he passed away in 1958. I'm sorry, but that money should have went to his patients. Somebody. You know, their families. No. And I don't, like I said, I don't know if he was able to keep it. I don't know. I couldn't find that. So if he did get to keep it, like wow. But I don't. I don't know of any like fortune yeah. that was being passed on. So unless he blew it all or something, like I just didn't find that part. I'm not quite sure. But regardless, he only got four years at Leavenworth, and then, and then he got out, and then he went to Florida, and then he just bike passed. That's away. a joke. Yeah. So if you watch a lot of paranormal footage, a lot of paranormal groups on Travel Channel and stuff like that, if they go to the Crescent Hotel, most likely they're probably going to be digging out something from the Baker era, as we'll call it. Excuse me. Aside from aside from room 218. Ooh, I'm sorry. Goodness. <laughs> aside from room 218. Um, apparently, they have possibly captured some of, well, photographic evidence from Baker himself. Um, people still see Baker himself, apparently clad in a uh, purple shirt. And looking rather confused. Uh, these disembodied voices, mysterious taps and knocks, photographs of mists and orbs, and even apparitions, whole and in part, have been documented from this, well, thought to have been from this Baker era. Uh, especially down in the morgue, uh, full-bodied apparitions of a man in a top hat have allegedly, uh, have allegedly been photographed. Whispers, uh, even EVPs. So, again, if you guys have the gumption of trying to find this yourself, you can actually, like I said, you can find just a bunch of information on various EVPs and photographs that have been taken um, across the hotel, especially, like I said, from the Baker area. Era. Sorry. Moving on, the stories are told of a nurse, again, from probably when it was, you know, a hospital, quote, yeah. unquote, uh, being said to only be seen after 11 while pushing a gurney for a purpose that we may never be known that may never mm. be known. Uh, I believe that's also on the third floor. Uh, gracing the room 419 is Theodora. And this one's really interesting with Theodora. Because if you stay on, I'm assuming, room four, uh, floor four near 419, uh, people have said that they kind of like half bump into a lady who's trying to like fumble with her keys, but she can't seem to find the right key. And everyone asks, like, are you okay? 
And, like, she'll, like, introduce herself as, okay, yeah, I'm fine, I'm Theodora, blah, blah, blah. And somehow she will make the roundabout conversation trip of letting them know that she's a cancer patient. Hmm. And most people are like, oh, that's crazy. I hope you, like, get through it. Yeah. And then come to find out that, like, they turn around, turn back, and she's not there. She didn't make it. Yeah. Mm. And eventually and eventually, someone from the hotel lets lets them know that, Wow. you know, that's it's been seen. Um, the doctor himself makes appearances. I kind of already jumped the gun on that one. Purple shirt, remaining rather, looking rather confused. And then the last real artifact from the uh, Baker era would be an old switchboard. Um, I couldn't quite find the years that it was still active, but um, after it was it was taken, after the hospital was kind of decommissioned, um, the switchboard, and if anybody who's listening doesn't know what a switchboard is, it's kind of like... Uh, the connection for all the phone phone lines coming in from the building. Of course, we had the, the main switchboards for like towns and counties and stuff like that, where if you make a call, they'd make the switchboards, but then they would make the line switch on the board. But with uh, this hotel, they actually had one that would connect all the different phones and all the different floors. It is said that the phone would or the switchboard would receive um, a signal from the morgue phone that had not been there in some time. Ooh. Yeah, so there's no... I don't even think there's a cable... There may have been a cable running to it, but there's no phone there anymore. But if you looked on the switchboard, then you could see that like it's a call was ringing in from the morgue. So that's Spooky. pretty interesting. I wouldn't answer that phone. Why not? <laughs> have you ever seen Rings? Yep. What's Rings? Ring? I have, the Ring? I've seen the first one. Okay, that. Oh, I don't remember like it, though. Some creepy little girl saying you have seven days. That's why oh. you don't answer phones that aren't supposed to ring. I think I watched the. I think I watched the first one one time. I don't think I did anything other than that. Like you know, you answer a phone like that. It's not going to be anything. No, it's not <laughs> going to be your it. aunt Susie or grandma. Yeah, uh, the switchboard understandably has since been removed. So after Norman Baker's miraculous healing, uh, the hotel would sit vacant for a number of years, kind of go into some disrepair, obviously from just not being used or repaired. Uh, it wouldn't be until 1946 that business and businessmen from Chicago would purchase the property with their sights uh, set on another go at a hotel. Um, they would actually do... Uh, wow, I just thought, why do I lose my spot so easy? I even have the highlights going. <laughs> I even try to help myself. Uh, things would go as planned. Um, it would be it would be ha- like half restored. It'd be nice, but it wouldn't be what it was. Like the full glory. Yeah, exactly. Because it really had that bit grandiose air about it and they brought it back and you know it was, it was all right but it wasn't what it used to be um things were looking okay for it until 1967 when a fire would break out oh my god and destroy a section of the hotel uh from here on out until 1997 the hotel would bounce from owner to owner uh well obviously i just said until 1997 when marty and elise Reynick would happen upon the property they would make the famous quote well at least famous in eureka springs Quote, in five years, we pledged to have this Grand Lady of the Ozarks back to where she was a hundred years ago. The addition of new sections of the spa area, restoring the top floor of the building, as well as repairing the 24-foot-tall crescent moon weather vane, were among just a few of the things they focused on completing. So, in this uh, small observation, so the top floor of the building is where the fire was, right? Yeah. yeah. And it broke out in 1967. Did nobody, no, none of the other owners from 19... 19- 67 to 1997 make any attempt to repair that top floor wow <laughs> like they just gave up like, like eh, well. i'll get to it when i get to it okay <laughs> get off my back oh man and with the uh, ushering in of of marty and elise Reynick, 
What's fantastic about the Rainix is even though they wanted to make the spa back into like a good hotel, a good spa, they also knew that like the paranormal history of the area uh, and of the building and they didn't want to just act like it didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing was happening. So not only did they redo all the spas and redo all the hotel rooms and do stuff, kind of bring it back to normal, but they actually took the morgue. And made a recreation of Norman Baker's morgue and autopsy uh, autopsy room and stuff like that. Now, we kind of alluded it back to that, but I wanted to make sure that we brought that up because that's really cool. Like, sometimes you don't see that. No. I mean, mo- most people, when there was, like, devastation or, or, or tragedies in an area, uh, you, you tend to want to just, like, okay, well, we need to get past that. Yeah. It was terrible, but we need to, you know, we're in here now. And they did, like, half that. You know, yeah. they restored the building to what it was, and then they also kind of catered to that kind of spooky, ooky crowd mm-hmm. that wants to take these tours by putting the recreation of Baker's Morgue in the bottom. Obviously, we said earlier they had those specimen jars that they had found. <coughs> um, they they also hold their own ghost tours, which is, like I said before, uh, kind of headed, uh, managed by Keith Scales, I believe. At least mm. up until a few years ago he was doing it. I'm not sure if it's current, but yeah. at least up to a few years ago. Um, and they're also uh, they're also plenty uh, plenty welcoming to any paranormal investigations, at least it seems so, who may want to come in. Um, and that kind of ends our Norman Baker area. Um, but if this <clears throat> hotel weren't absolutely spirit-packed enough... Along, alone from what we just talked about, right? We have these random spirits in there. Okay, hmm. first we want to hit on the crystal dining room, said to be filled with at least a few playful spirits. Some innovation, some investigations have turned up shadows and apparitions and photos from the dining room. And this incredibly funny story. Apparently, one Christmas season, all the gift boxes that have been placed under the decorative decorative tree were moved to the other side of the room when nobody was there. So people Ooh. come in in the morning or something, and now all the gifts are from under the tree, the other side of the room. Hmm. Furthermore, the chairs that were around the tables in the dining room, they all were moved to at least either encircle the tree or at least face the tree. So it's like some poltergeist hmm. movie yeah. stuff going on. Yeah, now, now skeptics could say, well, somebody who was in there played a prank, blah, 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 and that could happen. But I just, I just, this one time, this one time, I just want to believe it's true. Because it would be like a poltergeist situation. Yeah. It would be. It just was one thing. The kitchen of the hotel also isn't immune to prank-like phenomena either. The specter of a small boy is seen skipping through the kitchen. He's also blamed for pots and pans mysteriously being jerked from their places on the walls. Which I'm sure does not help the stressful situation that is a kitchen at <laughs> yeah. high at high flow oh, there's capacity, Oscar. right? Uh, also, uh, if you want this excellent spiritual service to come to your room apparently a waiter carrying a butter tray is seen to be walking down the corridors hmm. uh what else do we have what what else could we what just throw else? on to this place right do we have a ghost animal uh i think there is a ghost cat a go- i Oscar. did not put it Oscar. in here i did not put it in here but i think there is a ghost cat and oscar's on top of our computer right now that's fantastic <laughs> i know thank I'm you oscar also a young girl uh, is seen ascending and descending the scares in spectral form. Uh, I couldn't find her name, but it's a pretty well-known story that uh, a, a young girl had fallen to her death while leaning against the top floor banister in the 1930s. It's kind of unclear whether or not maybe she fell in between the... Is it rungs? Yeah. yeah. The rungs the ladder, of the banister? Or ban- banister. But, but they're vertical, so it's not... I think there's a. I think there's a name. Yeah. The vertical rungs of the banister. It's unclear whether she slipped in between those or like just... Pl- 
flopped over the top, but she fell all the way to the first floor, <coughs> all the way to the first floor for her demise. So she is also seen um, ascending and descending the stairs. Now, and I try to be as honest with as honest I can with everybody. Uh, there are probably a hundred more stories to go along with this freaking building. One you just kind of called out with an animal, and I know there was an animal, but I didn't add it in because I had to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. Right? This is a nine-page script. Had to cut it short because I knew our discussion was going to be kind of long as well. Uh, if we had to cover all those, we'd be here all week long. Mm-hmm. So that's where I kind of where I where I drew the line. So if yeah. anybody who is listening to this wants to do any more research on any of the stories involved, uh, please feel free. You'll probably find tons more. What we want to move in now, move into now, is the idea that, or the question rather, why is this place so supposedly haunted? Yeah. Right? Sure, there's a lot of death. Sure, there's a lot of of tragedies. But are there not other places in the world that have seen just as much, if not more, death and tragedy, yet don't show this near amount, near near the amount as as a Crescent Hotel? Mm Mm-hmm. And I gotta say it again. And I already thought this before, but Zach Baggins brought it up. That one theory uh, has to do with the water, of course, and then the surrounding rocks. So mm-hmm. we have kind of two theories here, right? Yeah. First off, we have the stone tape theory, which I'm sure both of you are well-versed in the stone tape theory. Uh, would one of you like to explain it, just because I've been talking forever? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> my uh, mic is having issues. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Her my mic. mic's having issues. So. Honestly, I forgot. Yeah. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I love putting people on the spot when they think they know something. It's fine. <laughs> Everybody can I'm call, being in pictures here. Everybody can call her a liar. So the stone, <laughs> the stone tapes theory usually pertains to literal stone, but it can be any any part of the land that will receive an imprint or enter like an energy imprint from an event or a person or what have you. Now, with this stone tape theory, essentially that energy gets trapped in in the land or the stone and can be replayed like a like a like a spiritual geological record player. Yeah, just like a loop. Yeah, like a loop, right? This is not the same as an intelligent haunting. Okay? This is just something that happened that, that you can see happen again and again and again in the form that it originally occurred. Yeah. This is not a spear that goes around that you can ask a question to or you can get an EVP from that's going to give you an intelligent answer. It's literally just a repeating of history through, through this, right? So that's our first theory, right? Stone tape theory with all the different geological things going on, environmental situations going on. Maybe... There was something about this area that, that allows all these imprints to happen, and we have that. But at the same time, we do have EVPs from various sources of answering questions seemingly coherently. Okay? So aside from our skeptics, skeptics, sit back for just one moment. Just kick your legs up. Maybe grab a bag of chips, maybe some chocolate milk. I know that's odd, but do it. Uh, even if even if you wanna if you if you don't want to be skeptic about it, maybe that's what's happening, right? On the second side of this this water that has brought all these people here through through the t- the person the anthropological history of the area has been this healing water right so even if this water isn't a cure-all for some miraculous supernatural reason it may be just chock full of minerals be you know, potassium you know iron zinc yeah. what have you that is just 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 being packed full of electrolytes making it just naturally good for you. Maybe not yeah. healing, but maybe good, right? With the high amount of limestone in the area with this sitting water, I think, and maybe you can help me hone in my thought because I only think I heard this once or twice before. Something about running water and limestone. Yeah. Yes. Right? It creates an energy source for yeah. spirits to 
like attracts yeah, able, yeah attracts attracts them. them yeah yeah so even more so if you have a, a body of water or running running stream creek river of water that is just chock full of these electrolytes going past the limestone wouldn't that exacerbate the 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 way that it essentially acts as like a conductor or yeah. a battery right yep so if you if you are if you again I keep referring back to this but if you're well versed at all in some of the the paranormal theories going around essentially the reason why some well at least some of the reason why people say that it gets cold when you uh, are near a spear or spear activity is going to happen is because they need to draw the energy from the area and you're actually feeling the heat or energy leave your surroundings thus making you cold right yeah so with this um, that's essentially what's happening. But they have a much bigger conductor as opposed to being maybe the investigator being the conductor of energy that they take to to enact something. Or maybe the batteries from one of your devices that they kind of sap. The land is kind of naturally making its own energy that they can take, right? Yeah. And if it's on a yeah. scale that's as big as a river running past, you know, a whole body of water, a river running past something, maybe this is just, just making this problem just magnified, right? Yeah, 100%. So that's that's interesting to note. That is about all I had, though. That's where I ended. <laughs> that's and it. that's where we just <laughs> that's decided. That's where I ended it. So we to we, end we it. ended on the two on those two theories, which is a good introduction because I think we've kind of touched on these theories before, but never really kind of delved into them. And and with something as 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 absolutely chock full of spirit activity as we have with the Crescent Hotel, like you have to ask why. Why yeah. is it so saturated with spirit activity? Um, why can anybody who wants to go find a picture or, or EVP or something for themselves, how can they so readily and easily do it? Yeah. So those are the two things I wanted to bring up is uh, these two these two theories. Obviously, the one, even if it's only applicable to a few, then the other side is still unexplained. It's not it's not exactly a recreation or a replaying of an event. People of these spirits seem to be being captured with coherent answers. So what's the reason why we have so many spirits in this area? Do we have anything to add at all? Uh, I, no, I was just going to ask, what do you, which way are you leaning on that one? Um, if I'm going to go logically, and I, I still have my skeptic cat like firmly on, right? Um, I think, I, th I think it's got to be maybe something more to the fact that you have some natural and i kind of put it to myself as like a static like a static electricity if you have these heavy metals or something or these minerals and stuff maybe going flowing past these limestone and for my fellow half skeptics out there i know i'm just trying to logically <laughs> think through and apply uh, knowledge that i have because there are plenty of other smarter people out there than me to to a theory and try to, to have it make sense um it would totally make sense that if the theory holds that if running water and limestone kind of create some natural energy of itself i don't care what it is i'm thinking of it as static it, naturally by itself and you make the water naturally more laden with minerals and stuff like that mm -hmm. that in theory it would just make that the energy bigger yeah right yeah. so yep. with this you have the the awesome, in, in a bad way, combination of tragic events, massive amount of people who are being, who are sick, ill, who are dying in the same concentrated area, along with the idea that if there were just regular water and limestone together, maybe we have a lot of activity. But no, yeah. we got a beefed up electrolyte rich water running past it, yeah. making this activity or m making the energy output bigger. So any little, sp I, I say little spare, I don't mean literally many spirits <laughs> but like any spirit that may not be more predominant than another one uh it could give them there's just a lot more energy to feed off of and they have the ability to communicate with that is what i think might be happening that's kind of what i was gonna yeah. go along with too and that's that's my feeling and that's on trying it. to be logical about it 
it's it's just <clears throat> like I said, trying to take that that theory that it would work in this case and and trying to make it coherent in a skeptical way. Yeah. I mean, that's the closest I can come. Yeah. Do you yeah. have anything? Do you have anything? Uh, no, I was just going to say that's kind of where I'm at on this case also. Yeah. I think you just have a whole lot of things that are uh, contributing to this mm-hmm. crazy amount of different stories. Yeah. Experiences, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the history of this place is crazy. I mean, with, with, with the Osage tribes coming through, I'm sure I could have dug up more on, on them, but sometimes like with the folkloric tales of specific native tribes, it's kind of a niche thing. You really got to know the book to go to, to find yeah. it because it's not as well known, anything like that. At the beginning of the civil war and the cave, the cave hospital and the kind of the spark that lit the powder keg and Dr. Jackson's eye water. And then here comes Norman <laughs> Baker, Yeah, you know, soon after, well, I, I, I obviously skipped, um, pal Clayton who, uh, both the crescent, yeah. But then here comes here comes Norman Baker, and that whole era kind of really saddened the history of the place. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Being, the whole town essentially being absolutely swindled by by a con man, and then obviously the the just droves of people who thought they were being treated and they probably weren't at all. Yeah, so, very unfortunate, but yeah, super yeah. sad. Definitely would be on my bucket list. Yeah, as, to go as, to. It, as it should yeah. be for any paranormal <laughs> investigators. I mean, uh, you we have uh, quite a few people who continue to go back to this place because they do have reliable um, activity that they can still kind of study and research. Some places you can go to, four different teams can go to, and one gets it. We have just screaming kittens. I in know. Here. I don't know what he's <laughs> screaming. I don't kittens even know where studio. he's at. <laughs> Some of these places you can have five different teams go to, and only one team kind of get maybe a knock or something. Yeah. But from what I understand, you th- you can't throw a rock in the in the Crescent Hotel without hitting some type of paranormal activity. Yeah. So. Never disappointed. Yeah. With that, I've dropped stream probably sixteen times yeah, throughout oh, this I whole. Just thing. I don't you think you've again. even been in it this whole no. time. No. So, like I said, I'm pretty sure everyone's still hearing me. We're obviously recording in Reaper, so our audio side should be good as long as we're recording in it. I think we'll probably call that a week because it's just raised up to 700 degrees in here, which is probably why the cat's screaming. Yeah. He's probably baking alive. So, with that, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I think no? that's it for me this uh, week, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. We like to plug our tea Public one more time. Um, there is not a sale going on, so if you want to think about purchasing something from our tea Public, whether it, whether it be, uh, I think there's some, like, pillows on there you can get even, t-shirts, hoodies. Phone um, cases. Um, phone cases. Uh, the t-shirts of, of varying materials. It's not just cotton. Oh, uh, yeah, you can get and Heather, colors. Heather, tri-bends, bi-blends. Uh, yeah, all these different colors. You can make your own color if you want, so... Um, if you get on there, uh, I would probably wait until we have a sale. Um, that's totally up to you, though. Um, proceeds, uh, we only get like a little bit anyway. So whenever you get them on sale, we get even less. But we don't care because we want you to save some money. So uh, I try to post those when we can. We had a one right after we started it. We had two back-to-back, basically. And then so if we get another one coming up, I'll go ahead and put that in the group. But if that strikes your fancy, please uh, visit us. On the T Public. just search Supernatural Tendencies. Again, uh, uh, give us a rating and review. Uh, if you get the chance in your preferred podcast platform, please don't rate and review today's show with the screaming kittens in the background. <laughs> please pick another different one. Again, thanks to Mr. Jeremy Traxler for being in studio with us Thank today. Thank you. As well as Daryl Sadler's guess of 25 years at Leavenworth, which was incredibly wrong, but that's fine. Well, I was going to say four. <laughs> he was going to say four, he says. That makes sense. I said I 50. Spoke too soon. Anyway, I think that's it. I think that's it. All right, guys. Yeah. We will see you when we see them next. 
next Saturday. Next Saturday for hopefully an interview that you all would want to stay tuned to. Definitely. As long as we can stay connected to What time is that? I don't know. Oh, okay. Wait, no, no. It's going to be, uh, it should be 8, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Okay, 9 o'clock Eastern yep, time. He's, he's in Central time and he needs it to happen at 8 o'clock, so it's 9 o'clock Eastern time. Yeah, yeah, yep, definitely. Yes. So be sure, guys, that you are uh, liking and following our page here. And be sure to click all for notifications. That way you'll see every time we go live, every time we post. Uh, because I'm going to be, it's still kind of a, a secret right now. But I'm going to be posting that later this week. Who our special guest, special guest is going to be next Saturday. So definitely stay tuned for that. Yep. As for that, say see ya. See ya then. Thanks for joining us. Adios. Bye. Yo, see Christina. Ya. See you later. There we go. <laughs> We'd like to thank you one last time for joining us this week. If you have any questions, comments, critiques, or stories you'd like to share, please email us at stpcmedia at gmail.com. If hearing us isn't enough, be sure to check out our website at www.supernaturaltendenciespodcast.com. Also join us on the socials Supernatural Tendencies Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram, as well as Twitter at Weird and scary. While we do keep our content as free as we possibly can, if you would like to support the show monetarily, check out our Tee Public account by searching Supernatural Tendencies on Tee Public. We have shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and phone cases, among many other things. Don't want to spend money? We'll gladly take reviews. No money needs to be spent if you hop on your podcast platform and give us a rating and review. Either way, we would be eternally grateful. If you get bored before next week's episode, be sure to join our Facebook group where many other like-minded people share stories and laughs until the show airs again. This has been Christy, Alex, and Christina. See you next time. Bye. And we find ourselves again in a very stifling studio because everyone in the room knows how much I love alliteration. Correct? Sweating up a storm over here. Sweating up a storm? I am literally dripping sweat. Yes. Like my deodorant is working super duper crazy overtime. Not even well in fact Something smells (laughs) in this studio. It might be me. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, ushering in the smelly studio is the band of the week, which is... Blushing Monk for this week. I love that name. Blushing Monk. Someone, um, I think it was actually one of the members of this band. I hope it's Dutcher, but it could be Ducher as a first name. So I'm going to go with Dutcher. At least if I'm wrong, I'll be consistently wrong. Uh, who had actually started up a thread for us on a Gmail. Oh, um, cool. Email to, to me. I don't even know how to say words today. Um, and, and he just started putting up stuff. Wow, that's awesome. Yep, and I believe this may be his band, again, Blushing Monk, out of, I think, Grand Rapids, which is awesome because I think we've had multiple, multiple bands for the past, what, like month and a half, two months from Western Michigan. This is no affiliation with the White Elephant Records that were just absolutely just slathered us with yeah. Western Michigan bands. Yep, not affiliated uh, with uh, with this band, Blushing Monk. Today they sent us Urban Rush, and they actually sent us two songs, um, but regardless, both songs, some reminiscence of, reminiscent of each other. Um, they have uh, the very core foundations of everything that you would think of when you think of jazz. And that's how they describe themselves. Oh. Yeah. Like, as soon as I started, like, listening to it, because I showed you guys earlier, but I listened to it previous before that, I just needed a dry martini and, like, and, and, dark, yeah. dark lights. 
Like mood lighting. And jazz. Yes. You got to have all three. Yes. Preferably a candle. And when you first heard when you first heard them, you thought the doors. I yeah. Like the instrumental section to some of their songs, right? The yeah. But then it kind of went in, into more of a the girl from Ip- Ipanema kind of song. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dun, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. yeah, there ain't no way, there ain't no two ways about it. You guys are they missing are, it, but I'm dancing. They're straight, just fantastic, fantastic, easy listening jazz. I thought you were going to say my dancing was fantastic. It, it was, but I thought that was assumed. It's pretty stellar. Yeah, I just, I thought that was assumed. Uh, anyway, we keep repeating it, and we will continue to repeat it until we start have more, having more bands play out, but I don't think they have anything really scheduled. But they have been very active on doing some live performances through their Facebook page. So if you get a chance, go over and uh, give them a like, and you should get notifications for uh, from... Uh, I'm not sure if they do it just like one one at a time or if they do the whole band, but I did see quite a few videos of them doing um, just some live music to, to, to fill the void for you. Mm-hmm. If you wanted some, if you wanted some music and not obviously not able to get out to any venues since they're all freaking closed, uh, especially in Michigan, I think they're pretty, pretty locked bu- down, buttoned pretty down, yeah, yeah. buttoned down, buttoned down. <laughs> anyway, do you guys have anything to add on this fantastical? Uh, jazz ensemble uh, i'm totally digging this sound mm-hmm. like i could literally just like pop this on and listen to it all day yeah and that's no offense to any previous bands or oh, musicians no, no. we've had on because sometimes you you're like yeah it's not really my thing but whatever what have you uh but this one you did you did like like this is like yes you can yes. keep that sucker playing on repeat that's right just loop it <laughs> loop it we'll listen to it all day christina do you enjoy it at all i did it reminds me of like Almost being in a hot tub with wine. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just, just relaxing. No, that's just the sweat from the heat in here. Oh, oh, it's the same exactly. thing, kind yeah. of, kind yeah. of. Just yeah. we're in a sauna. <laughs> we're in a sauna. Yes, yes. Anyway, unless we have anything else to add, silence. Fantastic. Uh, we are going to introduce one final time, then play it for you one more time. Blushing Monk with Urban Rush. Here it is. 